we go to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, and we read 21 through 28. Mark, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark, the second gospel. While you're turning there, I have a couple of other readings for us. First of all, uh, Psalm 106. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to go there. Uh, The psalmist is chiding the people of God for their past sins. And he says this in 106, Psalm 106, 37. He says, They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. And as uh, you may still be turning to Mark chapter uh, 1, I also have one brief reading, one verse that is from uh, the book of James And then we read 2.19. This is what the word of the Lord says. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Amen. Assuming we have all found our place, let us listen to the word of the Lord. This is Mark chapter 1. And I read 21. Uh, Mark 21. Through 28, let us ever be mindful of the fact that when someone reads the Bible, God is speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his Fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, blessed word. At this time, briefly, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, once again, we ask that your spirit would be with us. We trust that your spirit was with us in the reading of the word of God. We pray that your spirit would be with us in a mighty way in the explanation and the application of these things. And we pray that we would have many takeaways as we go into the rest of this Lord's Day and the rest of this week. Help us then, bless us, for we are in great need of your help every day. Help us then, and may Christ have the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the writer to the Hebrews, begins writing with these incredible words. In the beginning of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.1, it says, In many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers. But he says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. It's important that we see what is going on there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It's in a sense a summary of all the many ways that God revealed himself in the Old Covenant. He revealed himself by dreams, by visions, by signs and wonders, by prophets and by priests. In a sense, there's a great variety to the Old Covenant in the ways that God spoke but in the New Covenant, He speaks through the Son, the Son of God. In a sense, there's a lot less variety to the New Covenant, yet we understand that it is excellent and glorious to have the Son of God speak to people in this world. Well, if there are many times and in many ways that God spoke through the prophets, and many things that happened revelatory in the Old Covenant. What we can say about that is similar to what we can say about the work of Satan. You see, Satan is just an imitator of God. He has nothing new. Everything that he does is copyrighted. Everything he does is copying what the Father has done. He has a variety of ways that he can do damage to the people of God and to the cause of the Lord. As I read to you, Psalm 106, verse 37 there's something extraordinary. The people of God were willing to cast off God himself and not retain his name and become so wicked that they would kill their own children and they would sacrifice to demons, to devils. This is the work of Satan himself. This is the work of all of the demons. Well, that's one way that Satan can in, uh, ha harm people and do damage to the church. There are many, many other ways. We come this day to, to uh, Mark chapter 1, and we have one very extraordinary way that the devil is active. It is through demon possession, demon possession. Now, this is not something, I trust, that we see each and every day. It's not something that I see each and every day. Yet, it is the case that there are times of demon possession. 
And it's understandable that when the spotless, pure, perfect, holy Son of God enters into the world, that the demonic forces would rise up against Him. They are not happy with the coming of the kingdom of God. Now you have this situation where the Lord Jesus comes to the city of Capernaum, which we understand he stayed there for a good while, and he set up his ministry there, and we trust that he was continuing to do what he had been doing elsewhere and previous in Mark's gospel. He had been proclaiming the kingdom of God, declaring that the kingdom of God was near, and he was proclaiming repentance and faith, that is, turning from sin and placing your faith in God the Father. So we see in verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Now we understand from our Bibles and from a number of other sources as well, that the synagogue was what we would think of as a church. The synagogue in the Old Covenant and at the time of the Lord Jesus had a structure very similar to that which we have in the church. There were preachers, pastors, and teachers. There were also deacons and elders, and there was teaching, and there was singing. And this was to be separate from, distinct from the temple where they had sacrifices and the priesthood. So in other words, the synagogue was where they would go a couple of times a week, but especially on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. And we are not told in the text in verses 21 and 22 what he taught, but we trust that it was likely similar to what he had been preaching before in Mark's gospel. That is the kingdom, the extraordinary kingdom which is coming and it has already come, but it will come in a greater way, in a greater manifestation they are astonished by the authority of the Lord Jesus and his teaching. Because, as it says, he was not like the scribes. Now you must ask yourself, well, what is a scribe? Often in the Bible we read about Pharisees, and then we find out that there were scribes as well. What are we to think of scribes? And Pharisees, a Pharisee is not exactly mentioned here, but scribes are. Well, scribes were professional writers and Bible makers. You understand that before the printing press, you had to write out one stroke of a pen at a time, one letter at a time, some of us may still do that occasionally. It's very hard. It makes your, your hand hurt. It's very difficult. 
We just push a button and something is printed for us, a whole page. It was not always so. The scribes had to have meticulous attention to detail. At the end of writing an Old Testament scroll, here is what would happen. The authorities would look at it and they would count the letters to make sure there were no mistakes in it. When they would come to the divine name, they had to very carefully pray and write the divine name. In other words, what a scribe was, was someone who was intimately involved in writing of Scripture, which is different from the Pharisees, very religious and holy men. In a sense, the scribes were not just Bible makers, they were scholars. But here's what is interesting that we must see. Jesus, when he preaches in the synagogue, in the equivalent of the church of the Old Testament, he preaches with authority. He's not like the scribes. Now here's what the scribes would do. They would speak, and then they would back up what they believed or what they were teaching by referring to other authoritative teachers. And so they would bring about debates about the interpretation of a text, and they would say, Rabbi so-and-so says this, but Rabbi so-and-so says that. Jesus Christ comes with authority not only because of his person, not only because he is divine and he is the only begotten Son of God, but he also comes with his own authority declaring the truth of God from the Word of God. Now there is something for you to take away, Grace Reformed, for this. I dare say that we, as Reformed believers, can easily fall into this. The idea that we must quote lots of authorities in the pulpit. Now in the academy, in a school, if you are to write a paper, it is good for you to have lots of footnotes to back up your argument and show that you did not just come up with this on your own to prove your point. And a good scholarly paper will have lots of sources and lots of footnotes or endnotes. Footnotes are far better. But that's not how we ought to preach. Jesus is also teaching us how to preach, even in this passage, you see. Not only does he have authority because of, his, of who he is, but he teaches us how preachers ought to preach, not referring to that authority and to that authority and to that authority. As preachers, as Reformed preachers, I think we, we feel like we want to show our work. It's often a joke. Preachers, they only work one day a week, right? So they've got all this time on their hands. 
and we laugh. But sometimes I think preachers think, well, I better prove that that's not the case. Well, it's certainly not the case. In my, in my experience, most preachers are uh, as busy or busier than most other people. So many things to do. You'll, you'll be astonished at the amount of things to do. But we want to show our work. So we show that we're doing a fair amount of reading. We show that we've read this person and that person. And so we want to quote these things. Grace Reformed Church, you must understand that as you look for a minister, he may have some scholarly gifts and praise the Lord for that. He may be widely read and praise the Lord for that. But on the Lord's day and in the pulpit, may the Lord grant you a man who stands on the authority of the Word of God and stands in this pulpit and tells you not what man says, but what God says. And may that be your weekly takeaway. May we not fall into the scribal error that the Lord Jesus was able to break through and penetrate and defeat. Preachers must preach with authority and tell you not, I think that, I believe that. One could make a good argument that, no, he must say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God has said. But we must move along. Verse 23, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. This is important to see. Here is the Lord Jesus the pure one, the holy one. And so the polar opposite, the, the magnetic north-south opposite comes into the synagogue. An unclean spirit and the clean, pure, perfect Lord Jesus Christ. This, this unclean spirit is possessing a man and he asks, as he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a royal rumble. This is very serious. Jesus Christ has come into the world to defeat Satan and to defeat the demons. It is his work to destroy Satan. Now this, this demon who is possessing this man is agitated. He is seeking to one-up the Lord Jesus. He is seeking to take some of the power and the authority and to put down the Lord Jesus Christ so that the kingdom of Satan might rise even higher. It is very doubtful, very doubtful indeed, that when the scribes would preach that any demons had any care or concern about these things. It is the authority and the perfection and the purity of Jesus Christ that agitates 
the wicked demons. Have you come to destroy us? In one sense, the answer is yes and not yet. Yes and not yet. But it is not time for that. Jesus rebukes the devil. He says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. Jesus is winning against the powers of darkness. And then 27 through 28, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? This is an ironic statement, is it not? Now, I don't know about you. If I had just seen this, my first thought would be this. What is this? A new sign, a new wonder, a new miracle. But notice where the focus is. The focus is on the teaching and the authority of the Lord Jesus. There had not been teaching like this in that synagogue. And there had not been authority like this in this synagogue. And the sign, the wonder... The exercising of a demon, the casting out of a demon, that is simply a confirmation of the truth and the teaching, the doctrine of the Son of God. And so they wonder, they wonder out loud, what is this, a new teaching? He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. He becomes famous. No Facebook, no text message, the old way, word of mouth, talking about it. There is someone new in town, and he is not like the other. Jesus would say of the scribes and of the Pharisees in John chapter 10, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. He's talking about the false teachers of his day, the scholars of his day. Well, what should we take away from this? There are a number of things we ought to take away. First of all, Satan torments the people of God in extraordinary ways and in ordinary ways. But Christ is victorious over Satan, proving his authority. First of all, Satan does extraordinary things including demon possession. We must not deny it. We live in a day and age in which we are bombarded by foolish propaganda about evolution 
Evolution is true, they'll say. Millions and millions of years. We live in a day and age in which people have deep skepticism about anything supernatural. And it is certain times of the year. This is about the time of the year. The channels on the television will tell you this is what Christians used to believe, demons and devils. But we know better now. Christians used to believe that God created the world in the space of six days and all very good, but we know better now. We must not deny what God has told us in His Word, that there are demonic forces because of the secularism, the anti-supernaturalism of our age, we are, in many cases, tempted to deny Satan and demons. But the fact is, there truly is Satan, and there are demons. And Satan and his horde seek to do damage in extraordinary ways. But this is not something that we experience day to day. And so we must be on the lookout for the ordinary means of Satan's devices. The ordinary means. Some of the ordinary means of Satan's devices are to tempt you into sin. There is a preacher of a previous generation and he starts a book talking all about Satan's devices. He begins talking about this, one of Satan's devices for you is to present the bait for you, but to hide the hook. To present the bait, but to hide the hook. There's something very perceptive about this. This is exactly what Satan does. Our first parents, what did they do? Adam in particular, tempted by the serpent, tempted by his wife. There is the bait. Fruit. He did not see the hook. And what did Adam surrender at that moment? He surrendered the new heaven and the new earth. He surrendered heaven. And it is tragic. Once Eve began to look to, in a sense, to lust after the fruit of the tree, that God had said, do not touch it, do not eat of it. The temptation was there. And she was hooked. And Adam was hooked after that. Do you see the greatness of the bait? It's not that great, is it? When compared with all of the consequences, including death and war and plague 
and broken families and divorce and all of these things, if Adam could go back and and restore what he had lost and what he brought to us, you know that he would have done so. Think of David himself. There is Bathsheba on the rooftop. There is the bait. But David does not see the hook. What will the hook be? His family will be broken. He will have a son who will rise up against him and seek to dethrone him. The nation would not be the same. Men and women who have ruined their marriages and ruined their families through things like adultery and all kinds of other sins. They think if, if I could have just if I could just go back and tell myself, do not take that bait because the consequences will be so great that it will not be worth the thing to which you are tempted. That is exactly what Satan does ordinarily in your life. He draws you in. He brings you into sin. The consequences of our sin are far greater, far greater than we realize when we participate in sin. Another thing that Satan does is he causes you to think lightly of sin, to think that it is no big deal. And it has even crept into our language, our language of sin. We'll often hear, hear even Christian believers talk about, I, I am broken. And that is a consequence of sin. Brokenness can be. Christian believers will often speak of error or mistakes that are made. But the thing is, these things do not get right to, to the seriousness of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. And for a Christian believer, one who has God as his father, one who has the Lord Jesus as her brother, it is a sin. It is an offense. It is rebellion against one who loves you. A loving father. And the Son of God who laid down his life for you. May we not take it lightly. And may we not take the bait. Well, how are we to fight Satan in the extraordinary way? We'll go back to that question. That question that the demon has. Have you come to destroy us? Yes. But understand that the Lord Jesus who did come into the world to destroy the work of Satan did not simply come into the world to destroy the work of Satan right then and there as in toss this demon into the fire. 
at that moment. Because if he had done it that way, then we would not be saved. We do not know what the demon knew. But we do know this. Jesus came to destroy Satan and the demons by giving up his life on the cross, by suffering for sin on the cross. And by going to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ has destroyed the work of the devil. He has brought an end to death by his resurrection. He suffered and died to defeat Satan and to atone for your sins and for mine. And this is the love of the Son of God. And this is the love of the Father, who loved not only Israel, but gives away the mystery now, the mystery that the Gentiles are now now co-heirs, co-receivers of the grace of God in Christ. So in one sense we see that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has come. Prior to that, he showed his authority over them. Well, how ought we to live? We ought to remember that by his cross and resurrection, the Lord Jesus has begun the defeat of Satan So you may not be one who casts out demons daily and they obey you. However, you must be ever fighting against sin and Satan. And Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has given you power to renew your fight against Satan to avoid sin, to resist the devil that he might flee from you, and to pray and, when necessary, to fast against the works of Satan. You have been empowered, not with the words to cast out like the Lord Jesus has, but you have been empowered with his death and resurrection And victory is yours. But you must never, never let down your guard. For Satan is against you. And he comes at you one way. And just when you may have defeated him in one way, he is on to the next. He is very crafty in these ways. He goes around seeing whom he will whom he may consume. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people especially, listen to me. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him and be saved. I read, as you were turning... As you were turning to the book of Mark, I intentionally read from 
the book of James. The book of James in this one verse basically says this, if I can paraphrase. Do you believe God? Do you have faith? Well, if so, then praise God. However, do you realize that even the demons have a faith that acknowledges God? They have a knowledge and they assent to the fact that God the Father is the Father and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. Understand that before Jesus exercises, casts out this demon, you are not witnessing a demon make a profession of faith as if he could be saved. He cannot be saved. But we must ask ourselves, do I have a faith? Do we have a faith that is no deeper than that of the demons who acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, yet they will perish. It is not enough simply to declare who He is. You must trust in Him personally. You must trust in His Word. Oh, why should you trust the Lord Jesus? Not only because He has authority. That's enough. Because He has authority. But you also ought to trust Him because He is faithful and because He is good. And He desires your good and He desires what is best for you. Do you acknowledge that? And do you trust that whatever you're going for, whatever you're going through, that this is working for your good and for the glory of God? May we have a deep faith, a faith that is far deeper than the acknowledgement of the demons. May we trust in the Lord and be saved and trust in Him daily and moment by moment. And there we will have victory over Satan. There we will have victory over the devil. For it is not enough to be astonished at the authority of Jesus Christ. Here's how we know this. Our first verse. And they went into Capernaum. I could give you some geographical facts about Capernaum. Many preachers will do so. And that's fine. There's a place for that. You must understand that not long after the spread of the fame of the Lord Jesus, when people were astonished at His teaching and at His miracle-working power, 
Matthew chapter 11, Jesus Christ goes to different cities and he declares certain cities, he declares woes unto them. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, he says this, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! You realize this? When he says woe, he's calling for them to take note because curses may soon befall them. He says, For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And then he says this, verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you, Capernaum. You see the problem there. The Capernaum people and their astonishment at the work of the Lord Jesus, it was no deeper than the declaration of the demons. Woe unto them. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him for salvation. Trust in Him because He is good and gracious and because He loves you. And may the Lord bless us. Bless us all with deeper and deeper faith which grows in our trust that He, who, he is who He says He was. And he is the one who conquers sin and death and hell by his cross. And also a day is coming, and we trust, a day is coming when he will ultimately throw Satan and all of the demons and all who have followed their own way, including those of Capernaum, into the lake of fire. This is a day of grace. This is a day of repentance. This is a day of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you do so today and always. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we have read of amazing things and astonishing things, and some of us have read these things before many times, and we have taken for granted the Lord Jesus and his casting out of demons. May we not take these things for granted. May we be astonished at the power and the authority. And may we grow in our love for him and trusting that he has all things worked out for our good, that he is the one who sits as King of kings and as Lord of lords, and he is over all things. He is our blessed Savior, 
and our Redeemer, and we love him above all others. Help us then to kiss the Son and to honor him, to honor him and give the praise to which he, of, to which he is due. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.